but here, on the very rim of known space, justice is a long way away. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining us, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. Reporting for duty. <laughs> your co-host, Julie. Hello. Welcome. Hello from the burning north. Uh, uh, your co-host, Thorsten. Uh, hello from over the pond. <laughs> uh, just showing up under the wire, your co-host, Jacob. I'm technically on time. Oh, hey, what's go- what's up with your microphone? Is everything okay? Let me fiddle with it. You sound like you're on the other end of a room. Uh, <laughs> love doing it live, folks. And your co-host, David. Still paying respects with F. <laughs> Wait, what? <sighs> oh, that's right. That's a thing. That was a thing in a game, yep. right? Pay respects. Yeah. Is it is that like that doubt meme where you do you hit X to doubt? What, what that was another that's another like uh, similar meme? That's a different different, but yeah. <laughs> well, my friends, we have a guest this week joining us from uh just kind of down the freeway from me. <laughs> Technically, really. Right. My apologies. <laughs> oh, I'm back. that sounds much better. Thank you. Uh, uh, that's because Discord decided, hey, we're going to use your uh, webcam microphone. Oh, I hate when it does oh, that. Oh, fantastic. I hate when it does that. Hey, we just detected a new microphone on your monitor. Do you want to use that? No. Why would I want to use that? Anyway, uh, joining us from another part of Los Angeles, my friend, <laughs> is uh, Sean Randall of Adin. Ad- Edenic. Okay. Edenic. I can say that right. Edenic era. Oh, say can you see? You know, I know. I know. I know. I know. It's, it's, so, it's so American, but what are you going to do? I, I'm from the birthplace of America. I'm from Philadelphia. What do you want? Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about uh, Sean's game, Load Star. And I'm, I'm emphasizing the D because my brain wants to say Lone Star, like the guy from... Uh, Baseballs, so baseballs. I have to uh, very, I have to very, very consciously say load star. That's why I'm emphasizing the D. Uh, welcome, Sean. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming on, and thank you for making your game. We streamed it, um, I think, what about two weeks ago, and uh, and even in early access, we had quite a bit of fun with it. Um, now, folks, if you're not... Okay, so, Sean, how would you describe your game? I was about to, but, you know, you made it. So how would you describe your game? <laughs> <laughs> so um, a lot of times I call it a multiplayer um, puzzle adventure game in space. So we take big um, inspiration from, like, Zelda Ocarina of Time, where you're kind of going through each of these planets, which are similar to dungeons, and, you know, collecting abilities, crafting, buying upgrades, you know, finding all kinds of secrets, um, so yeah, that's basically the the gist of the game. And I was playing some of it solo earlier just to record some footage. And I was very pleased with how it seemed like, I remember the resources being a bit different. Uh, the resource amounts being a bit different when we were playing the three of us. So do, do, do you scale things based on how many players are playing? Um, <clears throat> 
we don't um, do any like manual scaling of like the resources you're gaining, but we um, we basically have tried to build the levels so um, to kind of encourage players to spread out a little bit to find each of the nooks and crannies and then put resources in strategic spots. So one person will be like, I see a resource on the left. I see one on, on the right um, to try to encourage players to, um, you know, break up and 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 experience the world both separately and together. So I think you'll feel like you get a lot more resources as a group. Um, um, because uh, because of that, you'll kind of split up and, and mine a lot. So, uh, and additionally, we wanted to make the game. We wanted to every, everyone that played the game to kind of have a place, regardless of what kinds of what, what kind of game they liked. So, if you just want to stay on the ship and manage the foundry and make sure all the resources get refined right, like a lot of times when we play, um, you know, people like somebody will take up that job and be like, "I'm going to do that this time." So, um, it also helps the the feeling of there being more resources when someone's actively managing and kind of preparing it for you. So. Yeah, the one time I played certainly uh, helps. Yeah, the one time I played with Spaz and David, it's it 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 doesn't it doesn't specify that you should specialize, but that's kind of how we just naturally fell into it. Which oh, yeah. is actually really nice. Mhm. Yeah, cuz because like all of the the bionic upgrades and things like that and the biostation are personalized. You know, it, it, I think it pays a lot to specialize and you get EXP too for doing different actions. So that also leads to further specialization. So we don't want to like hard gate anybody into it. You know, if everybody, if you want to do everything, you definitely can. But, you know, if you specialize, you can definitely move a lot faster as a team. Right. And when you get those upgrades going, it really kicks up the scaling for all the stuff you're processing. Mm -hmm, exactly. That's the, that's one of the problems that I'm trying to solve right now is like, if people don't buy those upgrades, they start to think the game takes forever, you know? So we saw all these reviews where people were like, it's super grindy. And I'm like, and, uh, and, and I uh, ask them to submit a bug report so I can look at their save and I go and I look and they haven't purchased any mining upgrades or they haven't purchased any forging upgrades. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this feels not the best. So we're looking at ways like maybe we can help people. I feel like this is something Sally should mention more than once. That mm -hmm. You have some available resources. Maybe you should upgrade your foundry or upgrade your uh, your processing speed. In, mm -hmm. And that might actually help a little bit just so that people know, oh, I've heard this message before. Maybe I should do that. Mm, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, we'll probably implement something just like that, that like if you're on like planet two or planet three and you haven't upgraded any of your your processing power or your mining power, then um, yeah, so that's maybe not Sally can keep actually, bugging you. <laughs> so that's not your robot actually is useful for something. Very snarky. We got we to talk about her for a minute because she might be... My favorite thing about the game, honestly, is 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 the AI. I I I, I kind of love her. I, I kind of mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to compliment you because I I mean games are supposed to be fun, and I love it when a game doesn't take itself too seriously. And clearly, the AI on your ship doesn't take itself seriously at all. Seriously at all. <laughs> yeah yeah we definitely we definitely want to add some brevity and 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 lightness to the game because we are playing it and developing it and because of the the kind of realistic style that we went with you know the game felt felt a lot more dark than what we had intentionally done especially like when you compare it to zelda which is like very bright and colorful and so we're like how can we add some more brevity to the game and and we love um you know, we left Portal, so we got definitely inspiration from there. And we're also kind of developer heavy. 
over everything else. So um, we were able to actually leverage um, Polly and AWS to do the text-to-speech. And the great part of doing that is that localization is like a fully automated pipeline. Um, you know, as soon as we get the, we, we can just have our writers write a Sally line in a Google Doc. And from there, it gets implemented into the game, gets pushed to the localizers. As soon as they localize, it gets pushed through Poly. And so we have fully translated um, um, vocals too for the game, you know, without having to, you know, manage multiple voice actors and things like that. Wait, what's Poly? What, what is that exactly? Um, Poly is a AWS service where you can basically give it text and it will give you, um, more human-like speech. So, and you have a lot of syntax control over put an emphasis on this word or say this word in this specific way. So it has like a, a coding markup language too, that you can write with to, um, specify how Sally says a, a given line. So. Oh, that's, re- that's, that's interesting because that, that's one of the things that's great about that character is she the way she says stuff, it's very snarky and being able to add the emphasis probably <laughs> makes the snark happen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause some lines will come back and they won't be quite right. And you just change which word you're emphasizing in a phrase. And, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's got both this text to speech, you know, robotness to it, but also like a much more human snarkiness level to it. So. <laughs> now who, who does the writing? Who does the, oh, sorry, Thorsten, go ahead. Uh, to be honest, I, 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 didn't think it it, uh, it was uh, an AI voice at all. I, I thought it was it was a, 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 a real voiceover. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty powerful, cool piece of technology. So, um, and we're only still scratching. I think the surface of what it's capable of. So, you know, I I just wanted to say that after the first hour of gaming, I really wanted a way to insult the computer back. And, but, you know, as always, I try and find out a little bit about uh, our guest and you're difficult to find anything about. Uh, But what I do want to know is whenever I looked up your name, it said Sean Blue Fire Randall. And there's got to be a story in that. You didn't just say, oh, hey, I like Blue Fire. (laughs) <laughs> i wish it was more complicated i kind of actually did i think i've had this name since um probably like 1998 you know been going by blue fire for about 25 years so um started using it back in the starcraft one days on BattleNet um when um, um you know guilds were all the rage you know and everybody changed their names to um you know guild tags uh, with the guild tag in it and i thought oh you know, there's no there's no fire clan yet. We'll be the fire clan and I'll be blue fire and then everyone else can be like different kinds of fire. And so um, that's how I initially got the name and um, and mostly kind of stuck with it, stuck with it since. So, <laughs> cool. so, yeah, I thought there was going to be some really interesting story because, you know, like I've been played in games like Eve and they say, really, why do you go by Julie Winefeather? And I said, that's my name. So I, I tend not to use a. Nom de bloom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's it's mostly yeah. I just I, I thought it, it was kind of cool. And um, back then, me and my brother always used the same accounts, so he had a different name. So then I had to create my own name. And yeah, I think I, I don't know how old would I have been back then, like ten or so. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but since I've been using it since I was a ten year old on the internet, so <laughs> different times back then. 
It, it is funny so, how we come up with those non plumes like in the eighties and nineties and just stick with them for decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have okay. to. Go ahead. Uh, Sean, I just gotta ask you something real quick here, yeah, especially yeah, that we see it right now on um, on stream as well, and we have the pre-recorded footage. Please tell me the propane tanks are not placeholders. The propane tanks for the uh, foundries. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, now we're intending to keep them. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some stuff in there that we want to like. If we have time, go back and like increase the graphical fidelity of there and and the buildings definitely. Um, but yeah, yeah, they're 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 intended to be um the assets that we keep. Um. Because initially the game was going to be like a like an idle game where you were kind of like. Um, your ship wasn't as um, ready for the the voyage, so you're just trying to cobble together stuff, and then you like slowly increase your tech level. Um, but we were we were struggling to make it interesting in multiplayer um, because there was just a lot of waiting, especially with multiple people. Um, so the game kind of transformed over over time. Okay, okay. You know, I wanted to say no. I, granted, I didn't catch the stream when they first streamed it. I was too busy, uh, but. I want to say I was pleasantly surprised when I first started playing this game because it's like it's a lot more than I expected. And I was, I guess, I mean, I don't mean this as an insult. That was, mm-hmm. we see so many indie developers, you know, and I tr- I tried to find if you had made other games before and I couldn't find anything when I started doing research. And so I said, oh, this can't be the first game. But I logged on and I, my first thought was, wow, this is really polished. How come I haven't like fallen to the floor or something at this point? <laughs> and I said, oh, and I said, this is, I was, it was really was astounding, you know? And so at that point I tried to go through it. Oh, now I'm trying to find something. And the only thing I could find was a little error note on the elevator. But, uh, so now I want to ask because I tried and couldn't find anything. And, and except for there's somebody else who's like a uh, speaker, who's a motivational speaker with your same name and it's not you, uh, you know, did you just wake up and say, hey, I know a really cool looking multiplayer game or, uh, you know, why why this kind of game when you started out? Did you wake, just wake up one day and said, hey, I know a game developer or a game developer or accountant? I don't know. Ones that are both exciting. <laughs> um, um, what happened there? Yeah, you might have actually found me. I think I do put motivational speaker on my um, LinkedIn because I worked at Riot for like almost 10 years um very early on right yeah (laughs) thank you (laughs) um i mean it was a great time early on at riot like everybody was a gamer like um everybody played games after works together it was it was a blast right i think i think they lost a little bit of that remind me who is riot remind me who is that oh those guys Mm -hmm. league of legends valorant um tft teamfight tactics so um yeah so it was it, it was a great time and then um you know, I think as the and and I really believed in that mission, right? Of being player focused, and I think over time, you know, as companies get bigger, it's like harder to hold on to those kind of values. So, um, um, they definitely, I think, lost their way a little bit. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start my own thing, you know, and we're gonna stay true, we're gonna stay smaller, and um, we went on to the indie game thing. And so, Lotar is our second publicly released game. We made a lot of prototypes early on, like a ton of games that failed <laughs> um, to like really get enough steam for us to think that we should like, hey, put this into production and finish it off. 
um, which I think also kind of helps with that polish aspect. A lot of indie devs just put whatever they make the first thing as a prototype up. And so you kind of get these these uh, unpolished games that they realize aren't going to work and they leave them in that state because they're like, oh, crap, this is probably isn't right. Right. Um, we did a lot of prototyping, made five or six games that never saw, you know, the light of day outside of our friends and family group. And then we made Valgrave, which was like a multiplayer magic based battle royale and a very simple polygon style. Um, which uh, was okay. It had like 250,000 players download it. Um, it was free to play, so not wow. a huge financial success. But um, uh, And then Lodestar is our second game where we're like, let's make something like a lot like more retail that we can just sell for a box price and so forth. So we do try to put a lot of effort into listening to the community and catching bugs. We have like an in-game bug reporter that goes to our Discord that, you know, as soon as it comes in, we try to fix. Um, right now, we're running a little bit slow because our build job is broken. So I'm waiting for that to get fixed to get the patches rolling out again. But we try to patch like every two weeks with all the bug fixes and then usually a very small amount of new content every two weeks. But i uh, been a little bit delayed on that this last month. Well, you know, I just... I am just so I'm just I guess I'm trying I'm trying not to be a fangirl here, but you know, it just for one of your second develop your second effort here, it's just amazingly polished. And yet I see some AAA games, uh for example, another forum I belong to. It somebody said, Oh look, but there's the place and some the comment below it was, uh, why haven't my car fallen to the floor yet? And so <laughs> uh it just no, it's really great. But so, I mean, is this really what you started out to do? You know, it's like I'm a professional project manager and I said, I just kind of fell into it. So, uh, which I couldn't find your story. So now I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in college, I um, got a degree in um, philosophy, uh, theology, uh, Greek and mathematics. So I just like, I did so much work in college. Like wow. I did just like so many, so many hours a semester, like 30 or 40 credit hours. Cause I got a really good scholarship that they were like, we're going to pay like all of your, all of your credit hours. So I was like, why wouldn't I just take everything I can? And they're like, well, we don't really recommend it, but we'll let you do it. And then <sighs> they saw me do the first year and they're like, okay, let's get, let's get you in everything, you know? And I really liked, I liked, um, Plato and, and philosophy. So I just took all the classes in Greek and all the classes in, um, in the philosophy organization. So did you just say Greek, uh, classical Greek or, or modern Greek? Classical Greek, yeah. Wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I did like a translation of the New Testament and, and the Republic and... Holy crap! Uh, some things like that uh, during uh, college. So that was that was a blast to me. So um, I hardly remember any of it now because I didn't use it. You know, I haven't used it for <laughs> 10 years or so. So, um, But I do remember a little bit. I, I still see it. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. You know, I understand the roots of a lot more words and things like that. So... Um, so that was real fun. And then, um, you know, the natural thing was to be a pastor because my the whole thing that I've always wanted to do, I think, since I was young was like try to make the world a better place. Right. And um, and I grew up in Kansas uh, in a very small town. Right. And in small towns in Kansas, um, basically the people that make the the world a better place are the churches like they take care of the the poor and the sick and stuff. And I think they do the things that the church is really meant to do um, a lot you know, more. <laughs> I should have guessed Kansas just uh, judged by the accent. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a good old Kansas boy. So I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the church. Cause that's where I can make the world a better place. Right. And I think 
um, that illusion was uh, was shattered very quickly <laughs> in just a few years um, oh, after I man. really saw the behind the scenes of what goes on there. And Oof. then I was like, you know, what? I've always liked video games. And I had played um, um, a lot of games like semi-professionally. Like I played a ton of Dota and played um, oftentimes as like a roster fill in tournaments and things like that. And 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 on on the primary team of some teams and tournaments. So um, I'm like, what can I do in video games? And through that, that's how I met people at Riot. And people, they're like, hey, we're starting a game that's making a new MOBA. And like, we think you'd be great. And they interview me, right? And they bring me on site. And uh and they're like, there's no way you're blue fire. Cause they, they all envisioned me as like a 50 year old man or something, I guess, from like my forum posts and uh, at the time. And I was like, no, no, I'm blue fire. And so I, they're like, show they're like, prove it. So I just like log in front of them. Right. And I get to meet all these friends that I had never met in person before, you know, just talk to back then was, you know, Ventrello and uh, mumble, you know, and team speak, uh, you know, talk to them a ton. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the, the, from there, you know, did that for 10 years, taught myself to program while I was at riot. Um, and did a lot of stuff there of just trying to make the the support organization like super efficient, like just solving people's problems. So if there were server outages, people lost content, like I, I repaired all that kind of stuff. And um, so I had to teach myself to code to do that. And then, you know, a few years later, I'm like, you know what, like, why don't I make my own one and see if, if I can really make a company that, that uh, shifts, um, shifts the direction i think of of uh where the world's going and where you know corporations and the video game industry is heading towards to maybe a, a more happy you know brighter future hmm. well games can definitely do all that i feel mm-hmm. so what uh, oh. is edenic in the name trying to be it's, it's like what you'd like the world to be edenic mm-hmm yeah, that's that's the the root of the name, right? Is uh, is is like Eden, right? And so we kind of see the world. I, I kind of see and the world as uh, going through these different eras, right? And we're kind of like in this tech technological information era. And I think we're we're so much on the verge of AI and and uh, like uh, computers being able to like fabricate things everywhere. That I kind of see that the world can kind of go in two ways. One is they it remains completely controlled in the hands of corporations and um, you know, the people that are well-to-do, you know, get even more well-to-do and kind of take up all the resources so they can make themselves even cooler things. Or, you know, I think the world can go into a state where, um, you know, that becomes a lot more diversified, spread throughout the world, and everyone's, you know, quality of life can significantly increase, you know, it gets rid of the need to essentially work, right? And so then I think us as a human race, we need to move away from, like, hard work as our as our like, hey, this is this is what everybody needs to do to be like trying to figure out what you were really meant to do and what only you can provide to the world and what, what you can bring uniquely to it, because I think the machines are going to do a lot of work for us. And so, um, you know, the mission of the of of our company is to eradicate income inequality, to create a more um, forward thinking and collaborative society. And so we hope that through the rise of AI, like we'll be able to do that. Interesting. Not expect <laughs> that, but. <laughs> I, for one, welcome my new AI masters. <laughs> uh, I did want to, the, the one kind of, there's two little frustrating things about the game, and one's very personal, but one is uh, I noticed whenever I got on the elevator, the little hanger switch was woefully difficult to activate. 
and the other thing is, and this is where I say, okay, unreasonable expectations, and it's not going to be what Jacob thinks, is uh, <laughs> I tend to get motion sickness real easy. And the first thing I always do when I game like Fallout is I set it to first person, and it makes it it makes it go away. I don't know what it is. And I don't know, you know, it could be just an absolutely unreasonable thing. Is that, oh, yes, I'd have to rebuild the game from the ground up. Oh, that's not reasonable at all. Or, uh, I mean, how difficult is it from your perspective? I think that's the VG, to do- Julie. There, I believe it's, this is it already in the in, game? Are you talking about switching in the game? <laughs> Are you talking about switching to a first-person perspective? Is that what you're yeah, talking? Yeah, I was looking. I was looking for that, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And there, there actually is a first-person perspective. There is. Well, no, I, I don't think there is. Okay. <laughs> there, there uh, might. It might be in the settings menu because we have been playing with it, so it might have accidentally got pushed to like there is. You can see the toggle, but it doesn't work. I wouldn't. I would be surprised um, if it works. Because um, you had this motion sickness slider in there, and I said, "Well, mm-hmm. I'll try it. It doesn't really help," but. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm going to barf my guts out like I did in some of the games we played. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of, like I said, it's my unreasonable expectation and hope for any game. You know, when I said, well, you know, the game's already polished, so I'll ask for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's something that we've talked a lot about as a team. Um, I feel like polish has a few asterisks there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's something we talked a lot about on the team. Is, is, is it something that we want to add? So it's not too difficult because you've already done a lot of the work to test it out. Um, and it didn't, it didn't take a ridiculous amount of time. So we just wanted to give it a shot. And uh, one of the thing, the problems that we found with first person mode is um, all of the puzzles are kind of set up, assuming that you're kind of playing with like their person has a certain field of view. So when you go into first person mute uh, mode, like the puzzle, some of the puzzles become nearly impossible to to understand and solve. So I think um, you know one of the requirements we had if we were going to do it was definitely make sure that players that went into the mode definitely knew to get out of it, like when they were like evaluating puzzles um, or figuring out a way, maybe even to like as you enter a puzzle, kind of like slowly zooming you out to third person so you can see the puzzle and then allowing you to go back into first person if you'd like to. Um, because there's tons of puzzles that like if you're in first person mode, it's just it's it's practically impossible, even just some of the basic ones to advance through the stage to see everything on your screen that you need to see to understand how you, you might go past this certain puzzle. So. Yeah, the grappling hooks are they can be a little bit fiddly, as I mentioned <laughs> in our uh, I mentioned this on Discord in text, but uh some of the grappling hook puzzles can be just a little bit tight in how you have to do the timing. So mm-hmm. one thing I'd suggested uh, was that when the grappling hook is firing or being reeled in and you're not actually being pulled with it, that it just acts out a little bit faster. You know, it mm-hmm. extends faster or reels in faster, and that should help a little bit with if you miss Mm-hmm. then yeah. then uh, you have a, a little bit of leeway to possibly try again. And I'm going to miss a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I miss so much of that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's it's definitely um, 
a lot of our puzzles are yeah like some of the difficulty comes from yeah the thing but i do agree that like i think having it go back in, out and in faster could be a really fun thing in terms of giving people like additional chances especially once you have the ranged upgrade it takes a long time right. and i find myself even like oh crap i missed i gotta wait like a few like two or three seconds almost i think um to, for the whole yeah thing to play yeah out. so it's it's, it's two or definitely three seconds too long. To, to fully extend and mm-hmm. And if you miss once, you're having to try three or four jumps in a row sometimes, or three, yep. three or four grapples in a row sometimes, mm-hmm. or it grapples and then you get pulled up. But, but because you aren't able to grapple to the next point, you are sent all the way back down to the bottom. Yep. And you yep. <laughs> try the next one to sequence again. So it's an anti-frustration feature, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I can always uh, refer to our uh, wonderful experience on the fur plant, trying to avoid spoilers here, but um, I made it up the, through uh, that jumping puzzle, and then I realized that there was a teleporter up there, a boss teleporter on the fur planet. Falling down. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I'm sorry, Spass. And you'd already activated by that point. <laughs> Yes, so I don't know why we were trying to keep on uh, trying to get up the friggin' staircase. Like, yeah, yes, yep, here, Spaz, and then you go here. Oh, yeah, by the way, I activated boss teleporter. You what? So, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the first, I didn't, I just ignored what those m- might have been at first. And the first couple of times I died, I was like, oh, my God, now I got to go all the way back down to the planet through all these, you know. And then I saw a teleporter, and I said, boss teleporter holy crap but you know it's like uh the first time i tried first few times i tried to defeat the first boss i'm trying to plug away at it at the ship with a shotgun while it's shooting at me and i didn't make a dent in it and if it wasn't for the fact that i talked to david i i'd still be there plugging away at the shit and he said no wait till it goes down and then fire and uh you know and i said well maybe that's just me you know or i wonder if everybody else is gonna have the same problem in well you know snarky hint from the computer or something i don't know that would be helpful yeah for the record david and i have already completed the fifth uh planet's boss so oh wow we have quite a bit of time yeah we've had quite a bit of time uh the the two of us in the game well you know that's just uh, it was not me some games it's hard to figure out when there's no instruction manual or no hints or anything but you know this was easy but it's just like i would have kind of gotten stuck at that point and said oh my gosh what do i do you know and my first thought from playing fallout games is you know just point and shoot and uh, mm-hmm. it was a timing thing, you know, so I guess I need a hint or something. Yeah, definitely the first boss is the one we've reworked the most to try to make that more and more obvious. I, I, I do. I feel your pain there and I do see other players getting stuck. Um, so, yeah, we're all for ideas of how to make it more clear. I think um, Sally saying more because Sally does say some lines, I think, but only the first time you visit. And I think you're already being kind of, um, you know, visually stimulated a lot that you may not be understanding that Sally is giving you a hint of how to defeat the boss. And I think she only does it once. So I think you're right. I think if we maybe have Sally after the first 60 seconds of combat or something, give you the hint again or give you uh, another hint. And then maybe after like, you've been fighting the boss for five minutes or something. Maybe she just outright just tries to 
be like, hey, spells it out for you. Just spells it completely out for you if you haven't done any damage to the boss yet. She can can absolutely get away with being a snarky, snarky plonker. (laughs) And if anything, if she's actually being helpful, that's only better. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. while you know, starking at you, while starking at you, I think that's really important because yeah. <laughs> that kind of advice, when given with Stark, it's you can tell uh, as a player that, yeah, the AI is snarking at you, but you're also getting the information rather than being told this is how you do it. The snark <laughs> is there to sell it. Yeah, the snark will be yeah, like, yeah. I shouldn't have to tell you this, but here you go. Here's how to do it. <laughs> let me just like let me just spell up spell it out for you, you dumb you idiot human. You should have figured yeah. this out already, but here you go. <laughs> well, when I get stuck at this point, my first thought is like that game, phone a friend. You know, I said, okay, it's Faz online, it's David online, but you know, and it and, and maybe it's just me, but I could swore toward the beginning of the game that the computer was making a pass at me and it was a little startling. Maybe it was just <laughs> my reaction. <laughs> oh man. No, I was gonna say sorry, Miss Electrodes, you're not my type, you know. <laughs> so whoever does most of the writing for Sally, we we just like to send our compliments because my goodness, like That's great. It's 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 ri- like video gaming. It's hard to make a f- may be funny in a video game. It's very challenging, and 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 forget it. And this game could be serious if it wanted to be, but because of all the bright colors and you have the AI as well, it's nowhere near as serious. I mean, you know, you're doing serious things, obviously, but there's it doesn't forget to be fun, and so many games forget to be fun. You know, because that's, mm-hmm. what, that's what we play games for. So Sally reminds us that we should be having, I think she actually said at one point, you know, I think she actually says at one point, you know, we might all die, but go have fun out there or something like that. <laughs> just spe- yeah, yeah. just spelling out the message. <laughs> so compliments to whoever writes Sa- Sally's dialogue or if it's, I don't know if it's communal effort or what, but it is. It is probably yeah. some of my favorite writing in any game. Honestly, it's so goddamn funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, two main writers. Uh, um, JB Carl is his pen name, and he's written um, a book too. Um, it's a fantasy. It's a it's a little bit more of a serious tone, but I think it has some some familiar. You'll see the familiar humor in the the writing as well. And uh, Daniel Murda, who is uh, our other writer from. Uh, Brazil, and uh, he gives another, a, a kind of another viewpoint on on the jokes too. But um, like you said, it's very communal too. Um, you know, Chala, um, a new person that we just brought on, she's done a lot of the writing too. And one of our developers, Michael Hill, who loves puns, um, has put a lot of them in as well. You know, as he's going along the content, because that's one of the things that we try to do as developers is like, not only do we want to ensure that the players are having fun like you guys and you're getting good laughs and stuff, but you know, we want to have fun too. So we have a very a very communal approach to the game where it's like, Hey, if you can make the game better and you have an idea, like put it in, you know? And then I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm the grim reaper who goes in and takes content out. If, uh, you know, I think it's not up to, to snuff in the quality bar, or I don't think it fits into the game. Well, I'm like, everybody put everything in and I'll be the, the guy that I'll be the guy who cuts. So you'll be the bad guy. How many people are <laughs> working? The bad guy. How many people are working on the game right now? So we, I think we have about 20 contributors. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, so everybody's working, um, as a, basically as a hobbyist in their free time, except for, uh, me and, um, our artist Mari, 
So they contribute as they have time available. So I would say in any given week, we probably get about uh, like 80 to 100 dev hours uh, in um, from those those 20 people. Um, and everyone goes through, you know, spurts as they have more time in their life or they have less time in their life, you know. So um, it's 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 quite it's it's yeah, it's quite the production. So um, outside of myself um, and uh, and uh, Jared Spurrier, uh, nobody else has made a game before, too. So that's also kind of, you know, oh, wow, it's, it's our mission, right, of to, like, make people be able to do their dreams and so all these people are like they've worked kind of like game adjacent in a lot of times but they haven't made a game themselves and i'm like here let me help you <laughs> like let's actually make a game <laughs> let's make a real game that's going to release and real players are going to play and real players are going to like so <laughs> it's uh it's, it's it's a great time wow that's actually uh, very <laughs> impressive given that uh i didn't uh, encounter any bug or a glitch or uh that the game hung up during during playing uh, uh, in, in all the hours I played so far, and I guess uh, the others have a similar experience. Uh, that's pretty good for uh, for a team that that is uh, basically made up out of of, of noobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Like, it's definitely it's definitely like a conscious decision, right? Where we prioritize bugs, right? And I think one of the things that helps is. Is we have a rule like if you break it you fix it <laughs> you know and you don't have to fix it by yourself but you have to be there when it gets fixed right so uh if somebody breaks something you know i won't go and just like fix it for them and like move on i'll be like okay let's schedule a time let's sit down so like you fully understand like why you what you did like ha- ha- uh, caused this problem like what the fix is and like how you need to kind of reorient your thinking so it doesn't happen again right whereas i think in a lot of like big companies everybody's just pushing 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 to get done and then maybe you have like a few excellent people like go clean up all the bugs but they don't have the time to figure out who caused them much less the time to train people to like not cause them again you know so you know they fix them and then you know two hours later someone's already submitted resubmitted the old code that's broken again you know so we try really hard to 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 we've all i think seen the team fortress (laughs) 2 code base video (laughs) (laughs) oh boy it's, I have, uh, I have it, not actually. I have not. I don't even. Know I have never felt about. more vindicated in my decision never to touch programming in my life. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm not a programmer either. I've I've tried many times, and I just can't wrap my brain around it. So programming I'm, is for people more insane than me. I'm I'm <laughs> always impressed by people who can do it. That's why that's why we love game devs because making a game is it's, not easy. <laughs> the programming is like. It's like trying to teach like a, a two-year-old alien how to walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I would describe programming as. I was I would think it is it's trying to teach a cat how to write poetry. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> no, because cats are actively malicious, uh, but still understand you. Programming it just like doesn't understand you. It speaks a different language because it literally is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, true. It's always everyone's always like, "Oh, it's a it's a bug in the Unreal Engine or something," and I'm like, like nine nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, like it, you did something wrong. <laughs> like it's not going to be a bug with the engine, you know? Like maybe out of every a thousand times you think something, you the engine's done something wrong. Like um, you know, one of them is going to be is going to actually be the engine. I'm like, it's going to be you. Like you're the one that's wrote it. I think that's the hard thing with programming is you're just constantly looking in this mirror of like. Yeah, I just didn't do oh, it, yeah, right? That's my fault. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> I mean, Unreal is pretty robust at this point, right? It's it's kind of yep. it's 
probably hard to break. It's, I would think. It's super, oh, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's insane. It's and the progress that they're making and the stability that they have. Like, I don't know, like, like I, I work with tech a lot. Right. And I think, um, you know, and I'm just super impressed that like you have AWS on one hand, right. Which I think is like super stable, but like it, sometimes like they're a little bit slow to implement new features and things. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have people that like are at blazing fast speeds, you know, that are releasing content to their game every week or two. Right. And they're just breaking things constantly. And then you have Epic who's like, doing both you know super stable and like releasing a ton of content at this huge Presumably scale through but, sheer manpower <laughs> i don't know yeah like that yeah like it is just in my opinion like amazing like i'd love to sit down with them and like see how do they approach testing and so forth to prevent it so which is the funny part too because people like say you know there's a lot like there are bugs i don't want to say there's no bugs in the game by any means but there are there are definitely like uh quite a few hand uh, quite a few handful of bugs that we're still working on but uh, it's just like, we don't have any testing. And they're like, how do you have so few bugs with no testing in your game? And I'm like, we just focus. We just focus really hard. And we make sure that everybody like knows how to write good code, you know, and knows how to write things that, you know, they can go back and fix later. I so. mean, you, and you also have the play testers in, uh, that have bought into early access as well, basically. Mm-hmm. And how yep. is that going for you? How, how would you say early access is going for you? I would say... Um, from a learning perspective, like everybody on the team has like really leveled up and the way that they interact with the community and the community has been able to interact with us to like help make the game better is like uh, a resounding success. Uh, financially, it's it's uh, very moderate. We've made about like $30,000 with like um, about 1,200 wow. sales. Um, so um, it's it's okay. You know, obviously when you have a team of 20, that doesn't go very far. And uh, so... Uh, yeah, it sounds like a lot. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, um, you're talking about making that much of a dent on Steam. And Steam is this, this massive platform where discoverability mm-hmm. is a huge problem. So that sounds, yeah. kind of, that sounds fairly successful to me considering... I mean, I, I don't know if I want to call it competition because everyone's making their own little niche and a niche and a niche, but... Like mm-hmm. it's so hard to be discovered on Steam. Uh, yeah, that 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 to me that sounds pretty. I mean, it's not a huge like Among Us style hit, but like that sounds mm-hmm. pretty damn good to me, honestly. And it's not my game; it's I'm not impressive. living off it. But like, for as hard as it is to find a new game on Steam, that sounds to me pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah, it's definitely not a, a failure by any means. So like we, I, I'm I'm very proud of of the team and what we put together and the the success that we've had so far. And like and again, we haven't even launched right. Um, Valgrave saw like three times as many people like try the game um, on launch than we did in early access because I think a lot of people just avoid early access, you know. So I think that there's yeah, you know, there's if I took a-, a guess, we'll make like a hundred thousand at launch, which will let us hire. That's so pretty good. Time. But yeah, there is <laughs> so. definitely an early access fatigue that a lot. I know so many people who won't even touch something if it says early access, like they won't even mm-hmm. try it. And I get that. Yeah, I get that. Like there's there, we've been burned a lot of times on early access titles. So mm-hmm. so I I totally get that. Um, I think it's a shame, but I'm honestly that, that really, that kind of warms the cockles of my heart to hear that, you know, you guys have done that well in early access. Cause like making a space game is tough. Making a co-op game can be tough. You know I mean? And there's so much competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so much out there. It's so easy to get buried that that gives me hope that you guys will actually do well once you hit 1.0. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. And, um, 
we've got a um, a new marketing um, person. Um, nobody was on marketing before, and he's been a super help in getting <laughs> oh, ads. And we've, we've actually had more with our. We just recently had a sale, and he did um, like a Google ad campaign. And so, oh, wow, um, things in terms of of revenue, I think are are definitely on the up and up. Oh, um, good. Yeah, you know, marketing is work. Like we have so many, we have so many wonderful devs who are great at making games and developing and art and whatnot. But marketing is a whole different skill set that that I wish mm. I it's wish people was, skills, which is um, uh, not reliable. No. Yeah. yeah, imagine having those. I know, right? Oh man, it, what, it really helps to have a good CM on your team. If you don't, uh, you should probably look into into doing that because having a good cm is uh it's so important are you talking about community manager yeah yeah now wait a community manager handles things like is that the same as marketing or is that a different role i would think community manager be some carryover between the two oh okay not always but can be okay Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think, yeah, the smaller the team size is, yeah, the more one person takes on multiple roles, right? Like I always say on my team, like, if nobody's doing it, then it's my job, you know? It's my job to do. How many so. hats are you wearing today? It's, uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. the question. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and especially with hobbyists and, and people, um, you know, you really want them to be working on things that that motivate them and, you know, excite them to come on. So you don't want to assign tasks that, you know, people find overwhelming or not inside their skill set because then they're likely to do nothing. So. Um, yeah, we just brought on a guy that is is planning to ramp up our community management. Mostly, it's just been me responding to anybody that I can ever find that's writing about our game or talking about our game. But um, we just brought him on. Um, his name's uh, Tweets, and he's going to be helping us out. Um, and he's a very uh, excited young man um, who did some work in Rec Room and stuff. Very talented. I'm very surprised, like how much he's accomplished at at such a young age. That I'm I'm super excited to have him on board. So I think that's going to be. Like you're, you're exactly right, Spaz. Like community management is, is super important, right? And it takes a lot of time. So, <laughs> yeah. So much time. I know firsthand. Now, one thing I wanted to say I'm impressed about your game is like, I'm not, I don't know if it's called instancing or the, the level design, but one, I loved how the ship itself isn't just like, in so many games where you take an elevator, for example, the game will like fade out and back in, like you're going to a different instance or something. You know what I mean? But in your also, game, the elevators don't take 16 years to get anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but in your game, the ship has all the levels, and they're all mm-hmm. in like the same instance. But you also have going outside and doing the asteroid mining is in the same. I guess I'll keep using the word instance because that's the best word I can think of to use. But like. Yep. When people are down the planet, is it all in the same instance or like when Mm -hmm. someone's down the planet and someone's in a ship, is that a different instance? I was, I was very curious about this because when you're all on the ship, it looked like everyone was all in the same bit of space. And I wasn't sure if the planet was a different bit of space or like, how does all that, how did all that work? Yeah, that's a great a great question. Yeah, it's all inside the same level. It was one of the things that we wanted to accomplish was uh, no loading screens, right? Wow. Um, so <laughs> it was one Impressive. of the things that we talked about at the beginning. Um, and so it's all inside the same level. Like when you're transferring planets, um, 
basically you have this idea of a level in Unreal Engine, and then you can stream in other levels. So we just stream in the other levels um, as soon as you teleport. But as soon as they're they're loaded in, like they're all like they're all in. So the server host is aware of everything. Extremely easy. Yeah. yeah, the server's aware of everything. So whoever's running the server should have the best CPU. Definitely, <laughs> whoever has the best CPU should be the host. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then uh, all the individual players only have to render and be aware uh, and uh, process the actors that are near them. So wait, so, so everything so. from the ship down to the planet is all one giant level, basically. Yep, actually, wow. you can actually like. Um, That's before impressive. we had where you could blow up the mine ship, you could you could fly the mining ship all the way down to the planet. You know, <laughs> like it took, for, it took like it took like forty five minutes, but tons of people did it. You can. Then, oh my yeah. god! Whoa. <laughs> wow! So, that, explains, that explains why you implemented the radiation feature. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they get down there and they're like, "How do I get back?" And I'm like, "Well, you fly back." <laughs> like, How do I even find my ship? And I'm like, "I don't know, man. <laughs> Go back to the same." <laughs> You weren't supposed to do that. This is uncharted territory. You're on your own, yeah. mate. Yep. Wow. No, that is that is astounding. I was not expecting that at all because it felt yeah. like it was all in the same instance slash level. It felt like that, but like you don't see a lot yeah. of games do that. You know, yeah. like like in a lot of games, like another game that would be similar to this, you'd have one instance as the planet and one instance as the ship and you would tie them together somehow. I don't know how any of that works, but like you'd have different instances, whereas here it's just one giant mm-hmm. thing. Wow. Yeah, you can like well, you can Brian, have somebody oh, in the mining vessel and watch people leave the spaceship and watch them go all the way down to the planet and then disappear in the atmosphere, you know. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, one one thing you should know, Brian, in case you hadn't seen it, is that if someone's in the mining ship and they turn around and face the the uh, the ship as people are running around on it, you can actually see them running mm-hmm. around if they're on the upper decks. Oh, That's that right. is okay. You can see them that... in the cockpit and fly outside and so forth. Yep, or oh, in the greenhouse. Okay. Yeah, that is yeah, <laughs> that is freaking great. Not a lot of. I mean, there's some games that like touched on that, like what Battlefront, I think, like when you're doing the the space levels and you can run onto the this cap ship and just disable the cap ship while other people are outside still in fighters and stuff. I mean, there are some games that kind of get in that same ballpark, but like I've I've I'm not aware of a game that models this much at once for a level. My God. <laughs> And that yeah, I think that you know, yeah. we we have we have development in spades, right? Like that's why we're, we're like, let's see if we can do it. You know, we can actually accomplish this because we have like I think like on our team of twenty, like nine people are like pretty dang good at programming. So we're wow. like, make sure anything that is a programming problem, you know, let's now, let's let's succeed there. Now, did you try the Did you try other engines to see if you could do this, or did you just set your sights immediately on Unreal? Like, how did that all work out? Um. During the initial time, we we definitely tried out a bunch of different engines. Um, like before even Valgrave, we tried we, we when we were making prototypes, we were using a different engine for each prototype to see which engine we liked best. Um, we tried Unity. Um, that was a pretty close contender. Uh, Lum- Amazon's uh, Lumberjack. That was not a close contender at all. Poor star citizen. Poor star citizen. I know. Those utters fools. When. I, th- I think it's funny when we keep talking about falling through the floor. That actually happened to me in Star Citizen, uh, which is mm-hmm. why it's I find it so funny. <laughs> it is extremely funny. Lumberjack. Oh, my God. Is that even still a thing? 
Is Lumberjack still a th- besides I Star think, Citizen? I, I think guess. they canceled it. I think they canceled it. Yeah. I think it's not a thing that you can download anymore. So, so. wait, does, Star, do, does anyone know? Does Star Citizen still using Lumberjack or did they go back to Cry Engine? Did, did we. Did, do we. Ugh, it's so confusing. I'm not sure. Brian, yeah, I think yes, they go. Sorry, it's probably written there. Tangent, tangent. Sorry, no, it's not even tangent. It's you're asking us about Star Citizen. I don't Why know. Don't someone, we, know? we care. Someone, we care less than you do. Someone might know. I don't know. I'm, I'm an idiot. Someone might know more than me. I don't know. <laughs> did you guys try good dough? Good dough. We did. We did. We you did. did? I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was definitely at the time. It was. It was too. It was still too green. It was. It's much better now. I would say so, if, if you were to start a game now, use Unreal Engine or use Godot. Like I've, I've heard more and more people are using games. Godot. Actually, uh, I hear. I hear. I'm hearing more and more good things about Godot as we talk to more and more developers. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I keep hearing, but it's interesting how I don't. I don't know. Like more. The, a lot of the games we talk about with developers, more of them seem to be using Unity rather than Unreal. Is is Unity? Does usually does Unity? I'm not a programmer. Does Unity have an easier point of entry, like a lower barrier to entry than Unreal does? So I think um, Unity has um, a few advantages. So one advantage of Unity is that there's less going on. So in Unreal Engine, there's so much content already made for you, so many features, so many things, and they're on by default. And you're just kind of like, you kind of get overwhelmed, I think, as a new developer, especially if you're not a programming efficient oh. audio. There's like tons of toggles and buttons to press, right? And you're like, what do these even all do? Um, Unity definitely has a much more restricted feature set. And then if you want features, you kind of go to their shop and add plugins. You need either they developed or the community developed, right? That add different pieces to it. So you can kind of build up just what you need for your game. I think the other advantage is Unity, I think, is still like a little bit better at 2D. I think Unreal Engine has made a lot of progress on that front um, recently. Um, but I think Unity gets a little bit of an edge on 2D. And uh, on mobile, they have more seamless ad integration. So it's a lot easier if you're going to make like a ad-driven mobile game to do it in Unity, I, mean, I think. So I think these are kind of the advantages. Unreal was originally made for, well, Unreal Tournament. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's pri- so it so it, even at its core, it's still the best for you know first and third person shooters in three mm-hmm. uh, using three D graphics. Other things you can make, but it will get exponentially more difficult the more you try to wrangle it into something else. That's just how engines work. Mm-hmm. That's how they tend to work, at least. Yeah, like so everything's Unity kind is of just much. Unity is just much better for like projects that are at least somewhat unique in that they don't. You know, they're very much different from first uh, first person shooter um, uh, in three D because in the in the same way like cry uh, the cry engine the cry engine was basically unusable for anything that's not that wasn't an FPS. It, I think it's gotten more flexible now, but I'm not an expert here. Jacob, I don't know if you've seen Star Citizen, but it's looking fantastic on Cry Engine, and and you really should give it a shot. <laughs> Uh, charming. The, the one thing I'll say is that looking is the one thing Star Citizen is sort of okay at. <laughs> hey, look at that, a JPEG. <laughs> look at that, a JPEG. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, well, we did NFTs before it was cool. What's what's the bingo? What's is we've we've done that? We've done uh, Star Citizen. <laughs> so put that. Oh, in no. uh, all right. Right. Citizen was calling NFTs before they were cool. Uh, yes. Also, <laughs> if we if God. we're gonna get it on get get the bingo out of the way, Julie, say the line. 
Oh, well, it'll, it would never work, but okay. Usually, I only ask for something <laughs> on Swish if there's a remote possibility. So, there you go. Bingo. Uh, <laughs> but since I've got the floor, okay, uh, and it was talked about earlier, is uh, I know there's, and this is, I think, particular when you talk about big gaming houses that have a lot of employees and have investors, and there's a tendency for investors to say, well, look, we want some of our money back, so like, just push this crap out there, whatever state it's in, and then you end up with people like the people that just pushed out the game based on Lord of the Rings that ended up having to apologize for it. If all oh, of them, so yeah, Gollum. And ouch, yeah. I think, and I, and it's a shame because this is the kind of thing that's given everybody the, the attitude they have toward early access. And uh, I remember back in the day, I was a beta tester for Ultima Online. And back then, beta testing meant, you know, actually just finding the bugs and getting them out and ready for uh, production. And now, more often than not, it's used as kind of a marketing ploy. And that's why it meant so much for me when I, I played the game first and then saw that it was early access. And I I said, I think if a lot of people take the attitude like you have as, and I understand this is something that maybe only an indie game developer can do, but to really have it polished before somebody said, okay, it's ready for marketing and out there, you know, instead of what I see the big gaming, big publishing houses do and they say, yeah, we can patch it later. And, you know, but sometimes not everybody can reproduce what they do like Hello Games can. And I think this is also a bigger travesty that I think indie game developers like yourself can turn this around and big game houses can't because I think once you've lost your market that way, lost your audience, I think that's going to be it. And this is why I'm glad people like you make sure the game is so polished before you hit the okay, it's it's ready for 1.0. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give my mad props in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think, yeah, you're hitting the money right on the head there. Right. It's just like, and I think like really what it takes is like, like a lot of times with these big companies, I think they're like, like a lot of times people, are, I, it is the machine, right. It's the investor machine and the corporate machine that does it. Right. And a lot of times it just takes, I think one person to stand up in those companies and really say like, this ain't going to happen. You know, that's got enough respect to like stop things stop bad things from happening but a lot of times people aren't willing to do it like like i can tell you now right now like if i was on the cd project red team and i was a product manager on the, the game itself right like like they'd either they'd either fire uh fire me or uh you know improve the game before it was released i feel like we're not gonna we cannot release the game in this state like it was it was surprising like I, i'm usually the first one to give people like a lot of leeway and like game development's tough and there's bugs and you know it's okay but i'm just like the level that they released, I think Cyberpunk at, you know, it, it, it astounded me. I was, I was shocked. I did not expect that from CD Projekt Red, you know, and I don't think it's, it's very representative of them either. Like it was their, their first big one. So I, re- I really hope their, their future ones, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they take mean, the feedback and turn it around. Like so. I have been the person that's been following the game from like the, the, the minute it was first announced. Mm-hmm. Having a be, been alive then and be uh be have I actually played a bit or at least read the original RPG Cyberpunk 2020. Uh 
2077, I played it way later because, again, the release the release came out and it was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was utterly surprising, especially because they've nailed three great games before that. Well, I know. What, two of 2.5, which one was kind of horribly jank, still is, but the, mm. it's, it's more fondly remembered because it set up the franchise rather than for in, its inherent merits. But mm-hmm. regardless, CDP are competent developers, so seeing them fail like that, I'm still not sure how that happened. Yeah, they I, I another was another so year shocked. and a half of development. That's what they needed. Yes, yeah. yeah. it was severe development hell. Well, well, yes, there's that. There was also COVID, which changed some, some, uh, the way things happened uh, behind the scenes. But also the fact that they just needed more time. But they had all these marketing deals that oh, yeah. they needed to push. Yeah. The marketing deals were going to expire if they didn't push it when they did. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not saying that's a good thing. That was on on the uh, the corporate side of things, the marketing side of things that. If they didn't do these things and push them when they did, the campaigns would have just failed. So I know they had that that fiduciary responsibility to push out a product. Uh, development side, I don't think they would have wanted to do that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's in, that that's a good in, insight. Yeah, like because what if like what if it's ex- like we don't see everything? What if it was like even existential where they're like, if we don't push it now, like we're bankrupt and we shut the studio down? Right? Yeah, and I guess that's that's yeah. that's where I would change my opinion, right? Like if, if it's yeah. like, hey, we we default on these things, we have to pay out this money and we go bankrupt, or we push a game that we know isn't good. It is right? part like, of the issue. It's a bad decision, like, but I know which one I would make. <laughs> it yeah. is part of the yeah. issue of like it being under like seventeen NDAs, presumably. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they see, they seem to turn it around. I actually played the game and finished it, and I rarely finish games. <laughs> so I played it. It's I still don't believe it's like the best thing ever. No, it's, it's not. It's fun. Mm-hmm. The, what what works works really well. Like the city itself is an astounding thing. Like I still think about spending time in Night City. I still think about my time in Night City because it's such an amazing place. You know to make a game i the, mean the, for, for a dystopian hellscape it is a really yeah. interesting place oh yeah no be. i wouldn't want to live there like in real life but for a game <laughs> it's a wonderful playground it's a wonderful yeah. playground but uh but yes. and and the, they finally got when they finally got the gameplay pretty well i mean it made it for a great combination but no it's nowhere near perfect you know uh, anyway that's a hell of a tangent <laughs> but Back you know to- I wanted to say that, you know, it's, I've seen so much of this so often and I've gotten burned so many times by the big game publishing houses that say, well, we'll fix it later. Then now, unless I know it's absolutely polished, I won't go anywhere near it, no matter how much I want to play the game. And I think if this attitude by the general public is ever gaming public anyway, is ever going to be turned around. I don't think the big gaming houses can do it. I think it's going to be the indie game developers that can kind of change the way gamers look at games that are like in early access. And I've reached the point in my life where I said, I don't want your apologies. I want to know you put into a game what you need to put into a game and don't bite off more than you can chew as a game developer because, you know, I just... I just, this is why I have more hope for this industry and in indie game development than I do the big gaming houses. Same here, pretty much. 
Well, yeah, you, you've got more room to innovate as an indie, for one thing, because the stakes are, for the most part, and I want to qualify that statement, for the most part, they're lower stakes that you can afford to take a risk and possibly fail, because you never know if the next game you make is going to be the next Vampire Survivors kind of hit. Uh, granted, that that's going to happen to so few, but the fact that you can actually take that risk because of the low stakes means that you're not spending twenty, thirty million dollars on a budget and having to play safe because you don't have investors to deal with. Because as soon as investors are involved, aside from say Kickstarter backers, then you have that fiduciary responsibility to actually make a a product that will make money, whether or not it's good. So in the indie space, sure, you can absolutely innovate and you can take that risk, but not if you have investors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ex- exactly. I think investors can really like I think there's good investors and you can find the right things. But the things is like investors generally want to eventually sell their stake. So it eventually ends up, you know, in Embracer Group or in Activision Blizzard or Microsoft. Right. And like their expectations for like what a success is oftentimes are just so out of touch with like what could be creatively possible that it can be really rough. This is why Identic Era is like hyper committed to um, staying independent from an, an investor viewpoint. We might consider publishers at some point, um, but um, but from an investor where we're going to take um, the entire stock and put it into a trust eventually and um, make sure that, you know, the company is is always owned by itself and always allows people to kind of have the freedom to do like interesting, creative like deep, deeply meaningful things, um, uh, rather than you know try to sell to investors, you know make our make our bag, you know sell off our shares and <laughs> all become millionaires, right? Like that that you know if that's your 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 jam, you know the, the Denikera is not the place for you, right? Like no one no one's going to be a millionaire off of Denikera. You're in the wrong industry. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, oh I, it depends, man. It depends, like. You get a lot. There's a lot of money to be had in the video game industry. Oh yeah, a lot of money. (laughs) But but from from a dev perspective, no, it's Mm -hmm. yeah. From an indie dev, yeah, definitely. I think it's 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 a big risk, a big gamble. It's really tough. It's really tough. We, I I admire personally anyone who tries to make a game, um, because it's such a. I I would think of I would see it as a terrifying endeavor. I'd be terrified to to make a game. Cause you're putting so much of yourself into this thing. And then what if no one plays it? Like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, that is, that is a terrifying <laughs> thing when you go to hit the launch button and you know, you haven't done enough marketing and you're like, what if, what if there's zero, what if zero people buy it? <laughs> you know. <laughs> one of the complications that, you know, I interviewed Paul Barnett once and uh, he, he spoke about this. He said, one of the problems is his experience in dealing with investors is they'll look at somebody who's the biggest success in the market. And uh, Dr. Bartle talked about this when he said once and caught all kinds of helpers saying, if I could do anything and have a time machine, I would have gotten rid of World of Warcraft. And so he said, Paul Burnett said when he was still working for Mythic, he said, you know, he would see something like his investors would look at World of Warcraft that at its heights had more players than Switzerland and people. And he said, this is like a freak of nature. He said, don't expect me to recapture 
what the Blizzard Corporation did with World of Warcraft at its height because it, it just isn't going to be done. And this is another thing why, you know, I mean, why I appreciate indie game developers, but, you know, on the other hand, what I'm also afraid of is, yes, the, the bingo thing, the star citizen is when you have everybody giving you all this money with no oversight. And then what's your incentive to ever actually come out with the finished game, which is another reason why, you know, I'm like, I, let's get rid of the big publishing houses and only do indie games. So that's just why I like indie game developers more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of soul. And like, that's what I, I always try to encourage people to is like, you know, a lot of people that I hear complain about the big guys. And I'm like, well, how many indie games have you bought this year? And how many, you know, $60 big studio games have you bought? You know, what does your budget well, look you like? Take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely do both. That's what I encourage. Right. But a lot of people, I think that, that, um, like they just keep giving these money to their big studios and they don't buy, buy the indie games. I'm like, just buy, buy like split it 50, 50, you know, that's what I always, that's what I try to do with, with I, I buy a lot more indie games than 50, 50. I probably buy like 95% indie games. Cause they're the ones yeah. that I'm comparing to and getting ideas from and things that I can actually accomplish, you know, but like, it's just like, yeah, like I encourage people really heavily, like, like buy, buy indie when you can like spend some time, you know, find small games and, and, um, find the ones that are worthwhile and like steam i think makes that easy there's a lot of like really high reviewed games and but also like go find the small guys right and give them some feedback and you never know like how much they'll change to their game like there's a ton of people that probably don't realize how big of an impact they've had on lone star and like you guys too like having like a two-hour video that i can just show the team and i'm like hey you like here's the like here's a timestamp. like you like go fix this problem <laughs> like you go fix this problem like i'll go fix this problem right like it it's it's uh, it's extraordinarily yeah, helpful, like more what, than you guys probably realize. <laughs> oh, that's why I love making videos because I've had so many devs tell me, "Oh my god, this is so useful. Thank you." And then they like release a patch <laughs> fixing all the things I found or we found in their game. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's why I love covering all these, all these different indie games because you know. And there have been a few times where it's been fixed live. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god, that's <laughs> only right. a handful of times, but it, but it's literally fixed live as as the stream is going that was on. uh which game was that the other day that would that happened um oh god i can't remember the name what was Starshift origins yes thank you Starshift origins the dev was actually there and i ran to a bug and he he fixed it while i was on the stream <laughs> yes oh it was amazing <laughs> it was absolutely amazing <laughs> One of the things that I'd like to do is, and, and I find this on YouTube, because I, I guess it's because I seek it out, but there are some YouTube channels that concentrate on showcasing uh, in indie de- developers like Brian and everybody else is here has done. And if it weren't for people like that, I never would have found com- companies like Inkle, whose products I've enjoyed for so long. And uh, that's why it means a lot, you know, and I have a lot more hope for that than anything else. So, well, so I'm glad Brian does what he does. <laughs> it's the pleasure's all on this side of the table. As, so, as <laughs> David? Do I have time for a few of my notes here? Did I, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we should start wrapping up soon. It's well over an hour at this point, but you know, yeah, come, yeah. let's let's wrap it up. Let's start wrapping it up with what you got. All right. Well, first of all, uh, Sean, I also got to say uh, 
I've been looking for some kind of Metroid-like game on PC for forever. So thank you for your addition to the fold or whatever you can call it. I got to start with that at least. Because uh, oh, yeah, ever since I played the uh, Metroid Prime on the GameCube, what is that thing? Like in the early 2000s, stuff like that, I always wanted to find something similar. This is not something similar, but I mean, you have this backtracking and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I like to see that on PC, finally. Uh, but yeah, uh, speaking of uh, Metroid Prime there, uh, when I and Spaz have been playing here, we've been trying to um, uh, find the last unlockables and upgrades, and we're having a little bit of trouble to find those drop pods um, scattered around. So maybe could we get, maybe get like a map or something like that in the game so we can backtrack and figure out where we've been, or maybe the collectibles give out some kind of noise when we were close to them or something like that? Um, yeah, I think so. We've been, I think the noise is a great idea. We, um, I had played around a little bit with a map, like a fake one, um, to see how it felt. Um, the big problem I had with the map is it made the game feel so much smaller because our levels are very, um, um, as you, as you've seen, you know, they're very like 3d. So it's, it, it's really hard to represent the scale of the map in, yeah, yeah. um, on a map with, and people are like, oh, wow, it's actually really small. And it's like, well, like everywhere is like three or four levels oftentimes. Um, so, um, yeah, but the um, yeah, I read about that same problem in Subnautica if you were given a map from the get go. But maybe we could have some kind of uh, I'm I don't even know how that's going to be programmed. So sorry, I'm not a game developer myself. I've, I've done a little bit of coding in Python, but that's just it. Mm-hmm. Could we get some kind of uh, auto mapping feature that uh, fills out as you explore the map, something like in uh, Doom or something like that? Yeah, I, I think something like that could could work as well. Um, I wanted to run one idea by you since you, you've, you've noticed this problem and seen it um, to see if you think we should spend development time. One thing I was thinking is like for uh, maybe a pretty significant amount of resources, what if we just let you um, pay in the scanner um, to um, put a marker on it? <laughs> so you could pay I I don't know, like a million tin or and put a, put a, and it would just put a marker on it. And then you would at least know where it's at, you know, um, yeah, you'd I wouldn't mind that. Puzzle. So. I was I was thinking something similar, but maybe not to that to that same scale. That you could uh, get a scanner upgrade for each planet, so it would be per planet, but it would give you within say a two hundred meter radius. Mm. It could ping oh, within a two hundred meter too. radius of where some of the things you haven't found yet are. So you yeah. don't necessarily know exactly where it is, and you don't necessarily know exactly how to get to it because it may be behind a puzzle. But at least mm-hmm. to give you a general area of where to look. Or That's a maybe, pretty good idea. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Or maybe it could be maybe an upgrade for something else. I'm not uh, dotted down on my paper here. Maybe a passive upgrade you can get for a device, or maybe so that it has another functionality. Oh, that's a good idea too. Yeah, I like the 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 true sight. That's a good idea, is yeah, that these markers yeah. only become when you turn Treeside on. And and I think running off of Spaz's idea, what if we just, instead of marking the actual um, item itself, we could mark the start of the puzzle, right? Because we always have this idea of, like, where the puzzle starts. So you'd know that, like, hey, here's the start of the puzzle, you know? Like, what is this puzzle? That, and then, then you'd have to still think sure. about it, you know? Without being like, here's a beacon straight where you need to go, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, another thing that I dotted down here as well. Uh, you heard Spast noting, uh, talking about the hookshot before. Um, can we also maybe get some kind of aim feature for it? For those uh, who need some extra assistance on aiming at those small, tiny connection points? 
or anchor points, maybe I should call them. Oh, that's a really good idea. I think we should do that as an upgrade. Yeah, some kind yeah, of lock on. by the team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I tend to be pretty good at those, and there was that one uh, puzzle early on that get, gets you like a paint job that requires you to grappling hook across a, cap, across a chasm and then up while you're mid-flight. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> The I'm, one terrib- that's on planet two. I'm terrible. That's pretty about. brave. I'm terrible. That's pretty brave for one of the fir- for one of the first ones you put in the game. Just saying. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I know which one you're talking about. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That one's good too. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like a, it's like in a cave. It's like literally one of the first ones in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I managed uh, to do that one, but it was a little bit tough. I mean, oh, same here. Yeah, but, well, be, being. Being legally blind can make things a little more difficult on that, but uh, still, I, I managed it. It just took a lot of attempts. Yeah, I think and the one failures too that we have is yeah, it's like how hard should it be? Like, like how, how often when I'm creating a puzzle is I'm like, how many times do I expect a player to fail this? Right, is the question I'm asking myself. Right, so because um, and, and I don't know what the like, right answer is, but this <laughs> I'm curious what you guys maneuver requires like twitch shooter level of uh, reflexes. Like, it requires like. A CSGO player's worth of ability, like put the cursor on the spot in quick succession. Yeah, you have, yeah, to, it has a you like have to figure out mechanic. how how much to compensate for the uh, for the hook itself because there's that lead time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're aiming at a point that you can't even see yet before you're firing. So yep. yeah. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, yeah. it's uh, not hit, the because puzzle. the the hook is not hit, hit scan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the puzzles we're trying to uh, do also become easier as you go on. So, like that puzzle, for example, is like a ton easier when you have dash two because you only have to hit the first one and then you can dash in. So, um, so there's also this level of um, when we're designing puzzles too. As you progress more in the game, going back and doing harder puzzles becomes like oftentimes a lot easier. Like um, there's an upgrade to dash. I guess I won't spoil it just for in case any of the viewers don't want to get spoiled. But uh, um, there's an upgrade for the dash on the fifth planet that, uh, you know, makes a lot of the puzzles a lot easier. <laughs> so, yeah, we couldn't find that one, sadly. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> and we tried to scour the place. Yeah. Trying to avoid spoilers there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, if I may uh, add that as well, some of the boss fights are a little bit confusing, I gotta say. Uh, the third one I'm pretty okay with. It's uh, very simple. You get a new gun, you see it, you blast those weak spots, and yeah, that's that's it. But mm-hmm. I especially noted down the second, the fourth one, and the fifth boss. And the second boss you saw on stream, where yeah, we're having a wonderful time against the turtle. So yeah, watch it, everyone who's listening in. It's it's hilarious. Uh, lots of death. Um, so I don't know what. <laughs> What can be done about that? So, the spikes yeah. are very, very dangerous uh, when they start popping out of the ground. It's very unclear to uh, to make sure where it's safe to stand to throw the explosive devices. And yeah, I've already yeah, actually like, adjusted that based on your guys' feedback. I, I, I don't know like if you saw. Yeah, I feel like the the uh, we never found the upgrade that allows you to throw explosives further, but I feel like that's something that should be found before you reach that boss because it seems like that's just a perfect marriage of the two things that you need to be able to get through it. Mm-hmm. Getting past yeah. the spikes, throwing past the spikes and then being able to handle the boss beyond that. 
Yeah, yeah, you kind of have this like safe area that you're able to walk in, right? And I think, yeah, watching you guys, I was like, oh, it's not hanging around a lot longer. So in the next patch, uh, I think I made it it stay like the spikes in the safe area stay around for like fifty percent longer. So you have quite a quite a few more seconds to get right up on the boss um, and uh, do what you need to do. Um, so I think that is going to help resolve that problem a lot. Without um, the the problem with the the range upgrade is once you get it the throw upgrade is you can kind of just jump at the boss and throw it over the spikes and then take the spike damage and kind of brute yeah. force the boss which i'm trying to avoid <laughs> um that's why I, let, I don't let you have that upgrade until after um that's fair but um but i think you're right like it, it it's uh the player doesn't have enough time and the readability was was low and so we we i drastically increased the readability and um additionally made it last longer and the boss is a little bit more um dynamic now too I, I found a few a few weird bugs where he would stop when he shot his laser when he's supposed to like continue walking which also um like lets the the environment change up a little bit more so i think i think uh i'd be curious to get your feedback after you play it and see if it's better and if like in that direction if you see other areas where i could improve it so all right yeah, just gonna add in real quick here see force now and another question here so i should probably wrap up my questions here i just had these two uh, final dots here uh fourth boss I felt very stupid when Spass and I finally figured out um, what to do. So if you're going to make Sally say something, make her say, fly, you fools, or something like that. Please. Mm. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> we'll put that in. I like that. So, so um, no, the, only, the only people that will fail is the people who haven't watched Lord of the Rings, so they deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't matter because that, with that boss, it's just once it's, if you hear that, you'll understand. I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and for the fifth boss, I, I don't know. Maybe I was bugged out or something like that. Uh, I can't say in the maze. I'm not saying more than that. But Spaz figured out uh, what to do. And yeah, I don't know if uh, if I was bugged out client side or something like that. But I couldn't do things in, in that maze. Let's just say mm. that. So it was very weird. But we finished that boss fight. So. But yeah, that's, uh, that's all my notes uh, that I have here. Um, I'm giving the word to Forsten. Yeah, th- yeah th- this is going to be the last thing, by the way, before we wrap up. So go ahead, Thorsten. <laughs> oh, great that I got the last word. Uh, I just want to ask, what uh, what's the plan for, uh, for the future of the game? So what are you going to implement in uh, uh, before you leave early, early access? Yeah, so... Um... The next big patch will be um, Planet 6, um, which won't be as like the other planets where there's as much to do because um, it's the last one. So it's going to be mostly the the last boss fight and the wrap up of the story. And then additionally, Planet 6, after you beat the last boss, um, we're going to open up um, some additional puzzles for you to play on the last planet that are like incredibly tough, um, <laughs> like incredibly right. tough. Um, just as like a like, hey, if you want to after you beat the game, like go have fun Get getting nuts. the rest of the stuff right. And they're gonna have like crazy upgrades that, um, uh, like let you kind of like basically break the game. Like upgrades basically that we've developed and then thought like these are too strong. These break the game. Like we can't have them in the normal game, and we're gonna throw a lot of the upgrades that we made that we kind of ditched out uh, into uh, <laughs> into those. Uh, those puzzles so uh, that'll be a lot of fun um and then um additionally um we want to add a lot more cosmetics there's a few like you can put ship signs down and lights down and things like that um we want to improve that definitely and um after that like mostly polish like both on the game design side and on the visual side of just um you know improving the quality of the ship because we made that like very first thing very quickly and we still want to get that done um 
we want to make producing a little bit more interesting and a little bit more clear. Um, we have this idea where like you can place um, buildings that buff other buildings down. So we'll probably have a few more buildings that that act as buffs um, that make that that process a little bit more interesting too. Um, and so those are those are kind of the primary areas that that we want to improve on. Um, okay, that sounds like a great place to wrap up because. Uh, yeah, you're still in early access. If we, if we haven't made that clear, folks, the game is still in early access. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely one to pick up, especially if you have friends to play with. Cause I played, like I said, I played a little bit by myself this morning just to record some footage and it was fun, but we had a lot more fun with other people. At least I had a lot more fun with other people. So, um, oh, yeah. friends, the game is load star L O D E star. Uh, I, I, Again, keep wanting to say Lone Star, so I'm, I'm emphasizing for that reason. Load Star is currently on Steam in early access for what twenty nine nine nine. Am I remembering that correctly? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. And and the nice thing about that is it's it's kind of old school. You buy it, you and that's it. You <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. that, that's actually exactly. nice. I like that. Um, but that's got to do it for this episode, Sean. I want I want to thank you for coming on. We had a, we. You know, a lot to talk about today. So that was great. God, what are we talking about next week? I can't remember. What are we talking about next week? Um, oh, yes. Next week we are talking about localization. Uh, I think that was your topic, Spaz. I think that was your that idea was for a topic. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that that's going to be an interesting show because I know nothing about it, but you guys go know a lot about it. So I think I'll be asking questions <laughs> for, as a complete novice to localization. And it was interesting that localization came up earlier with the, uh, what was, what's the software you use, uh, Sean, for the, uh, for, uh, for Polly. Yeah. Polly. Yeah. That was, that was interesting that you brought up localization earlier because we're going to be talking about that next week. So uh, I wonder if that'll make localization easier because you see so many steam comments asking for like, please give us a Portuguese translation. Please give us a Italian translation, you know, so it's not that easy. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's, not. that's what we're going to be talking about next week. And tomorrow we're going to be playing more Star Trek resurgence. Things are really ramping up for the poor resolute. So, uh, <laughs> This poor little science ship. Extremely interesting. Yeah, this poor little science ship's getting the snot kicked out of it. Uh, so, uh, so we'll be playing more of that tomorrow. Uh, so, thank you everyone in the chat uh, for your questions and hanging out. It was great seeing you all. Thanks for our, to our patrons as always. Uh, for helping keep the lights on around here. And thank you to everyone, as always, who's gotten vaccinated. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, what the hell are you doing? Please go ASAP and get the vaccine. It's how we're all going to get through this. My God, I, I wish I could stop saying this, but we're still in a pandemic. So I'm just going to keep screaming from the mountaintop. Uh, so have a great day, everyone. Be safe, be well, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.